Everybody turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read the whole chapter. And you're going to you're going to you're going to be right in there this whole time. You're not going to tap out. You're not going to be like, "Oh, it's a whole chapter of the Bible." You're going to read it and be like, "Yeah, I want more of that." So chapter 11 verse 1 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, for the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. For the next 20 verses or so, the writer of Hebrews is going to mention men and women of the Old Testament. And I want you to know this is called the Hall of Heroes. But it's a hall, a hall of fame of sorts, that, that nobody chooses outside of Christ. Once you're in Christ, even these people decided, okay, if this is the way, then this is what we're going to do. But it's not something that we say, yes, this is what I want to do. You'll understand once we get there. Verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. Uh, side note, she was about 90. Since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died, by, uh, died in faith, not having received all things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of what the, that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city." By faith, and by now you should have gotten this, by faith, by faith, by faith. You're hearing this repeated over and over and over again. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Uh, the king had decided that all male children that were born should be killed. Um, it's an abhorrent thing that our country celebrates nowadays, but back then it was offensive. By faith Moses, when he, had grown, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than, than um, to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured uh, as seeing him who was invisible. 
By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute, nobody sees that one coming, right? Prostitute all of a sudden in here? Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say, for time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Re women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Hebrews 12 and 1, therefore, therefore, because of everything we just read, because of that entire chapter, because of all those men and women we just read about, all the things that they did by faith, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, we love you today, and we've read a lot of scripture. I pray, Lord, that, that as we read your word, it would not just satisfy us, but it would also create a hunger for your word. That we would right now in our very this very moment want to know, well, what happened in chapter 10? What happens in chapter 12? What, where is the writer going with this? What is this all about? What are you teaching us, Lord? Father, that's what I pray for. And I pray that you'd give us clarity today in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, We have been given such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, we have a sun that is very powerful, but if you move enough clouds in front of it, what happens? It blocks out the sun. Not entirely, but a cloud, if it's dense enough, if it's thick enough, it, it, it can separate, it can, it can block that which is on the other side. And the writer of Hebrews says, look, there's, there's these... There are these people in our past, our spiritual lineage. If you're a Christian today, this is like we just ran off your family tree spiritually. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Samuel. These are all people that are now a part of your heritage, your lineage. You are as much family to them as they are to you today. The writer of Hebrews says, look, we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. It's so, there's so many. After taking a whole chapter, he ends with, I don't even have enough time to go over all of the stories, all of the people, all the men and women who have done things by faith in Christ and are unlike you and me in that they didn't see the end result. Church, these men and these women, when they, when they died in their faith, they had yet to receive Jesus the Christ. They had looked forward to him, but, but didn't experience him. You see, we are a lot like them in that we're doing the same thing now. We are looking forward to the coming of Jesus, and part of that is running our race, just being ready when Jesus returns. He says, I will return like what? A thief in the night. And if you've ever been a thief in the night, you tend to show up unannounced. Because if you make a big parade about it, everybody knows you're going to be there. And they're going to call the authorities. But Jesus is going to show up. He's going to come in a flash. People are just going to be shocked that he has returned. 
We are anxiously waiting, like in the best way, anxiously waiting, uh, awaiting his return in that way. We want to be ready, and part of that's running our race. But let's be realistic. Everything. We started this last week. How many things popped up this week to make you just stop? I mean, brick wall, boom, stop running. Pastor Tony said to run. The Bible tells me to run. But something, a circumstance, it could have been simple and easy. It might be life-threatening and life-altering. Either way, something is trying to stop you. And even if it wasn't an external circumstance, it may have just been inside. I can't, I can't keep running. I hurt too much. There's so much. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what my life has been like. You don't know the things I'm trying to battle. Or maybe, and this is probably the most realistic possibility, we're just lazy. I don't want to run. I don't see any benefit. I don't want to do it. it it's, I'll just do this instead. Everything seems to be going okay. Why should I change my life right now? Why should I follow this Jesus when I don't see any benefit to it? All of that is just a roadblock to stop us from running. And now, don't boil down this message. One of the easiest things to do today is to take this message and say, okay, it's an inspirational message. It's a rah-rah, hey, this guy did something great. I'm inspired to go do something great too. Yeah, that's part of it, but that's like second, third, and fourth. That's not the important side of the message. You can go anywhere and be inspired. You can go to the Grand Canyon. You can go watch a bald eagle fall, fly through the sky. You can watch some guy run the 100-meter dash in like nine seconds and be like, whoa, I'm inspired to do something. So let's not boil it down to just that. But let's just think about for a moment these very real women and these very real men who did some amazing things in the name of Jesus. Let's think about Moses for a moment. Moses was born in a time where there was a rule that all Hebrew boys should be killed as soon as they were born. Don't let the, they come out of the womb. Kill them somehow. Be done with them. Why? Because Pharaoh had said these people are becoming too numerous. Let's kill the boys. Eventually, they'll, they'll maybe not die out, but they won't grow so fast. They won't multiply so fast. And somehow Moses survives this. His family hides him for a while, and then the mom just decides, okay, I'm going to float him, float him down the river, and hopefully, hopefully somebody will find him. Who finds him? Pharaoh's daughter. Of all the people that could have found him, Pharaoh's daughter finds him. Pharaoh's daughter takes him in as her own son. She needs a wet nurse for him. Who does she hire? Moses' biological mother. He gets raised up in the Pharaoh's house. It's like, imagine you had a baby, and you couldn't take care of it, so you floated it down the river, and it ended up growing up in the White House. Like, wouldn't that just be the most bizarre thing? And then you find out that these people aren't my parents. This isn't actually my house. Not everybody grows up in the White House. That's Moses. And he knows and he's been told that he's going to help liberate his people because the, the Egyptians have enslaved the Jewish people. They're making bricks. And, and every day the orders get harder and harder and harder. It's just great. To me, it's this great picture of religion. Religion always says you're never doing enough. There's always more you can do. You should, you know, maybe you've pleased God. Maybe you've done enough. Religion's a taskmaster like that, a slave driver. So he tries, he ends up killing a guy. Like, I don't know about any of you. I've never, I don't know a lot of you outside of church. My assumption is you haven't killed anybody. At least I hope not. Um, I would assume you'd be behind bars at this point. But for Moses, he kills a guy. Gets called out on it and he flees for 40 years. He flees for 40 years. He's just, I'm done. He runs from God for 40 years. He finally gets turned around by God, the burning bush and all that. I can't speak, my mouth, my speech, all that. He sends his cousin Aaron to go stand before Pharaoh. Why? Because he's going to declare, let my people go. We've all seen the movie, Charlton Heston, all that. Let my people go. Well, Pharaoh doesn't allow it. Then you got the ten plagues. 
And, and then and then finally it ends with the firstborn child in a reverse of a curse, if you will. The firstborn male of every Egyptian household gets killed for not offering the sacrifice that God has ordered the Jews to do. Go to the book of Exodus, read the whole thing. I'm paraphrasing and giving you the cliff notes right now. What ensues is Moses and the people going out, going and wandering through the desert, splitting the Red Sea, uh, being fed with manna from heaven. We don't read that and think that was real. We read that, or, or if we even do, we read that story and it stays off in the ether. It's, 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 it's theoretical. It's, it's almost like a, a myth or a fable. Moses, in chapter 11 of Hebrews, is commended because he actually did something based on his faith in God. Our faith in Jesus should cause us to do something. James, the little brother of Jesus, goes to great lengths to say, Look, you have faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. Well, Pastor Tony, you can't be saved by works. Not what James says. James says, look, I have faith, but I'll prove to you my faith by what I do. What I do for Christ, what I do for the kingdom, what I do for the church, what I do for my brother and sister, what I do for myself and my family, what I do for my workplace, and what I do for, for the people that I hang out with. I will show you my faith. Faith, he ultimately says, without those works is dead. Imagine if Moses had never did any of these things. Surely God would have raised up somebody else. He would have delivered the people. But, but think about it for a moment. God told Moses, go do this. He went and did it. Faith is very, very simple, but incredibly complex for humans with human nature. Because even if we want to do something, we tend to do the wrong things. Or, or we, just, we just think it's so much more than just simple obedience. Moses, go, preach, talk to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. Lead my people to a place where I am leading you. Cain and Abel. We all know the story of Cain and Abel, right? I love Hebrews 11 because, because it reminds us it, it, it confronts us in something that we've done as an American culture. We've taken a lot of these stories of the Old Testament, and what have we done with them? We've boiled them down. We've kidified them. We've turned them into children's stories. Stories like David and Goliath. That's a bloody massacre of a story. It culminates with, with David chopping off the head of Goliath. They always leave that part out of the kid's story. And so we, we, we regulate, or we, we just, I don't even know the word, we just push those aside and say, oh, those are kids' stories. The Old Testament, that's all full of, of little kids' stuff. Little kids' stuff like heads getting chopped off. And, 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 and Samson being with a prostitute named Delilah and eating honey from a dead lion. That's all kids' stories. Those aren't kids' stories, church. Don't, don't think that you've graduated from these things because these men and women they did something and we as a church and i mean big c church the church all across the world over generalizing i know we we say we have this faith but then it there's nothing that comes out of it i have faith okay are you loving your neighbor no are you reading your word no are you part of a local church no are are you praying no are you tithing no What's your faith producing? Are you preaching the gospel? No. Are you baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? No. Are you making disciples? No. Then what is your faith? I just believe. Well, just believing, just having faith without these works that extend from them, dead. Nothing. What are we doing with our faith today? And I don't mean just vague general faith. The world has its own faith. It has its faith that its politician will win, that its sports team will win, that its uh, bill will pass, its way of life will be celebrated. They, there's that type of faith, but it's uncertain. It's all dependent on circumstances. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith, that's not what faith is. 
It's a hope. It's a solid foundation. And the things that we know will come to pass. We know Jesus will return. The Bible tells us so. We know that Christ loves us. The Bible tells us that too. We know that God is God because the Bible tells us that God is God. And you can question it and you can ask and you can search and you can go throughout the world, but you will not find another God who offers you forgiveness because he loves you first. You will find do enough, then you'll be forgiven. Do the right things, and then you'll be a child of God. Follow these rules and examples, and when you get to the end of life, maybe you will be found approved. And the Bible says, place your faith in Christ. You will be in him, and you will have his righteousness. Because the righteousness of humans, our own righteousness, the Bible says, hangs on us like filthy rags. Dirty, filthy, smelly, self-righteous, rotting rags. And that's not enough to make us right before God. Now, let's not even talk about heaven today. Let's not even talk about all of that that's going to come, the new heavens and the new earth. If we, don't, if we come up in our own righteousness, we're done already. Well, Jesus, I, I, I gave here, and I did this, and I did that, and I did this. There's, this, there's, there's this, an account in the, in the Gospels where Jesus is speaking to people, and people are like, we cast out demons in your name, Jesus. And he says, get away from me, workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They come all, look at all the things I've done. And Jesus says, I don't know who you are. Can you imagine a more worse life than to think you've been living for the one true God all your life and you show up that day and you find out, I never knew you. Who's this guy? That, that would be a very bad day. For those who come and then are approved by God, they aren't approved because they did all these big, great things. They're approved because they put their faith in Christ. And because of that faith in Christ, then they ended up doing things. So the world says, do stuff, then be approved. And the Bible says, have faith, and you will be empowered to do stuff. Anybody who steps up here who's going to do anything, whether it's me or Mike or Ben or the girls who sing, we come up here and our only hope is that, man, Jesus, you got to do this. I am not enough. I don't have the talent naturally to pull this off. And I watch week in and week out, I watch God do something miraculous up here and out there. And you might not see it, and it might be subtle to you, but it's happening. It's a changing. It's a refinement, like Jen said earlier. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's a clarification or a, or a knowing of something more, an experience where you just you are with Christ all the more. These people mentioned in Hebrews chapter, chapter 11 are mentioned because of their faith and because they ran. Don't get caught up in the metaphor of running. Jesus, the, Bible, the writer of Hebrews does not literally talk about running. Look at Rahab the prostitute. It boggles my mind. It just, if we wrote the Bible, if it was only, if it was only written by, 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 by man, there'd be no mention of a prostitute. There'd be no mention of a woman who sells her body for a living and being counted as a hero. Name one other hero prostitute. Mary Magdalene. And what did she do? She worshipped Jesus. Those are the only two famous prostitutes that have lasted thousands of years. The ones that believed in God and by faith did something. What did she do? Did she run about getting things done? No. She welcomed the spies when nobody else did. She was saved because she saved them. She was used. She did something. So she was saved. Sarah. Sarah, 90 years old, you're going to have a baby. Okay? 90 years old. See, we can't even put ourselves in that position. We just think, nah. It's just one ear without the other. Sarah had a baby, 90 years old. Okay, keep reading. Got to get my seven chapters or my six chapters done. Just think for a moment. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you ladies are in your 40s or 50s, and if you were told you were pregnant, you'd be like, how did this happen? I mean, you know how this happened, but, but 
biologically, how is this possible? She's 90. And it's not like her husband is really young. Like, she's not like one of those cougars who went after a younger guy. She's, she, she, that, okay, that was funny. So, uh, uh, she, her husband's a hundred. A hundred. A hundred. This was not an immaculate conception type of a thing like with Jesus and Mary. Sarah and Abraham had quote-unquote relations and had a baby at 90 and 100. Just let that sink in for a moment. I mean, don't, not too much, just enough to get the story down. That's incredible faith. It didn't start off with, with, with Sarah having that incredible faith, though. What did she do? She laughed, just like we did. She overheard, Sarah's going to have a baby, and she chuckled. And if you're 90 and you're told somebody tells you you're going to have a baby, you should chuckle too because it's probably not going to happen. But with Sarah, it did. By faith, though, she understood, okay, if that's what God wants, that's what's going to happen. And I'm going to live my life for him, even if it means having a baby at 90. Most 90-year-olds, we don't even let them drive a car. Not, you know, It's not ageism. It's just the reality, right? But yet God used this. Not, don't ever think because you're retired or not young or not like those people who wear their Captain America shirt to preach in. Don't think that you are now useless. You are needed as much as ever. We need people who have walked their walk. The church needs people who, yes, are a little more seasoned, but can say, yes, I remember when this happened. I'm praying for you. I, I realize now that maybe my role may have diminished in the in the uh, you know the the hands-on action, but man, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna, I have hours on end. I'm just gonna pray and pray and pray. I'm going to give because I've been blessed financially, and I got nothing to do. So I'm just gonna give to what God is doing. We need everybody. Nobody is part of a demographic that is is the only part that's vital to South Bay Chapel. We don't just need the kids. We don't just need the families. We don't just need the singles. We don't just need the, the, the generation Y or X or the in-between or whatever. We need everybody lending in, doing their part, bringing their experience, bringing their talents, bringing their callings and their special gifts to the table to preach the gospel of Jesus because that's what matters. You may have one gift, and that gift is only it may be just encouragement. Do you know how important that gift is? Do you know how many people walk around just waiting for someone to encourage them to keep going? They're just longing for somebody to say, hey, man, I see what you're doing. Doing a good job. Keep it up. Especially, especially young men who just feel like they're failing all the time. They, they see all these, these portrayals of masculinity in the media and think that that's what being a man is like. And so they're failing at that and they're just down and they – they get hooked on things like pornography and video games. And if you just come alongside them and say, man, I remember what it was like to be a young man too. It's hard, especially to be a single young man and to not know if you're ever going to be married or have someone to share life with. I mean, if you're ever going to have kids or grandkids or, or do anything of value, I mean, just come alongside and say, hey, I love you, man. I love you, buddy. We, I'm praying for you. Keep your chin up. It gets better. I remember once, it, it was an early part of our marriage, Sarah and mine's marriage, and we had no money, like no money. And I just remember telling this one pastor friend of mine, he just, I was like, you know, I just, this sucks, it hurts. I don't know where the, you know, we're not homeless, things could be worse, we can look at the silver linings, gas in the car, all that, food in the refrigerator. But we have no money, and all he said no big promises, no big prophetic words, no big fireworks. All I said was, it won't always be like this. And I remember just thinking, what? Yeah, it won't. It won't always be like this. I knew that he loved me. I knew he was in my corner. I knew, and this man was probably 40 years older than me, just said, 
It's not always going to be like this. I made a choice. I just decided, you know what? Um, I got Jesus. It's not always going to be like this. That season of not having a lot of money is still not over. But the season of having hope in Christ continues to this day. Faith causes you to do something. And when we, when we read chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 says we're going to run partly because of the witness that we find in these people. Sarah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon and Gideon. Gideon defeated an army of 10,000 or tens of thousands with 300 men. 300 men. See, we, we, we can't even fathom that. That's, that's, how, that's how Gideon went into that battle. Church, what are you doing because of your faith? Are you, are you loving other people? Are you helping those that are in a less of a position than you? Are you reaching out to them? Are you just loving? Are you just kind? Are you compassionate? Are you long-suffering? See, the newer translations take that word that's found in, in Galatians 5 and other places, other places and say patience. Much more clinical, much more politically correct word. But the King James, the good old King James, uses long suffering. It's the two words we never want to put together. Short suffering, long nap. We'll take those, but put those other long suffering. No, not long suffering. Make it short suffering. Come on. Many of you are struggling at long suffering because it's not so much the long that's bothering you. I mean, it is, but it's the suffering part that makes the long so much worse. If it was just like, you know, you stubbed your toe. Oh, I'm long-suffering. Well, you stubbed your toe in about, you know, 20 seconds, you're going to be fine. But for many of you, it's much more than just stubbing your toe. This is life-altering. Everything from this moment on changes my whole life. The route I thought I was going, now I'm going a whole different route, and I didn't know that this was even a possibility. But that's all part of long-suffering. How you handle that will not determine how much God loves you, but it will determine whether or not you are being fueled by the Spirit or not. Galatians 5 says that one of the fruits of the Spirit is long-suffering. If you are not suffering well, then maybe you've got to go back to square one. Am I filled with the Holy Spirit of God? Am I following Jesus the way that I'm supposed to? Am I actually walking what I talk? See, I can't do that for you. I can't see your mind or heart. You can, though. And the Lord certainly can. And he'll convict you of these things. He'll just show up one day. Hey, stop doing that. And you'll be like, oh, i got to make a choice. Either I start suffering well or I don't. I'm either following and being filled with the Spirit or I'm not. There's no third, there's no third direction. It's one or the other. James chapter 5 says this, verse 7, Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. I never, I've never farmed. I've tried gardening. I'm horrible at it. Um, bring a plant to my house, and in three weeks, sure enough, it'll be dead. Um... Some of you are not. Some of you are like green thumbs. No matter how much rain we've had, your garden blossomed this year. Praise God for that. James uses the idea of a farmer and says, look, here's how we have to be patient. A farmer plants a seed and then waits. There's only so much a farmer can do. He can water. He can weed. Keep out the pests. I'm sure there's more. Maybe that's why I'm not such a good gardener. But for the most part, once he's done all those things, the seed only grows as fast as it will grow. And he waits. And James says that the farmer knows that he planted a seed, something's going to grow. Every one of these cornfields that we drive past, the people who planted those seeds, you know what they thought? Hey, I'm going to put seed in the ground and corn's going to come up. They didn't plant seed in the ground and then just run away and think nothing's ever going to happen. 
In James chapter 1, James says that's a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. I've planted a seed, but nothing's going to happen, and I've run away, and everything's going to die. He says, no, a farmer plants knowing one day that seed's going to grow. Church, we have been planted in Christ. We know, or we should know, that we are going to grow. The only thing that stops us and hinders us most of the time is not Satan. It's, it's not demons. It's not even the world. It's just us. We just stop believing. We don't listen to Journey. We just stop believing, and we just, we just give up. Nothing's ever going to grow. Nothing's ever going to change. And James says, let's be patient like the farmer. Know that something's been planted. Something eventually is going to grow. It's not going to grow today. Tomorrow's not that likely. But eventually something's going to grow out of what God has planted in you. Or, or you being planted in Christ. You also be patient. This is what verse 8 says of chapter 5. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers. So that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke, of the, who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the, Lord's, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Take verse 11 for just a moment. Let's divide it in half, okay? My wife's flight is, is an hour delayed today. She's coming home today, so i got plenty of time to preach. Verse 11 says, Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. How many people know the story of Job? Job. Messed up story, right? He's rich. He's got ten kids. He's got lots of land and servants, and it's all wiped away in one day. And then his body's covered in sores. And he sits in ash and scrapes the sores with terracotta planters. Just scrape, 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 scrape. I don't know. I've never done that. But my assumption, bad day. Just going just gonna to call that one like I see it. James says, consider Job for a minute. And you have seen the purpose of the Lord. You know who didn't see the purpose of the Lord? Job. We read that story and we see the behind the scenes of Satan approaching God, looking for someone to devour, and God saying, have you considered my servant Job? God offered Job? Like, the first time Satan went around the earth, he didn't see Job. So God's like, hey, did you consider my servant Job? It's like the kid who says, hey, teacher, you didn't give us homework at the end of the day. Like, ah, oh, why'd you have to say that? If Job had known, oh, why'd you offer me up? We see all that. Job never saw that. All he knows is that a whirlwind came and destroyed his uh, storehouses, and his children are all dead, and his wealth is all gone, and his body's co covered in sores, and his wife's like, why don't you just curse God and die? The one person that should be in your corner, the one person that should be on your side, says, yeah, why don't you just die? Curse God and die. That's just everything's been taken from him. James says, consider Job. In all that Job did, he never sinned. He never, he never left. He questioned, he pondered, he asked. He had a bunch of dumb conversations with a couple of dumb guys who came along with him and sat with him. I mean, they were nice and all, and they remained quiet with him for seven days and let him just hurt for a while. But then they just started saying dumb stuff. Consider Job. He, he didn't see the purpose of the Lord like we do. We now look at it and say, oh, testing his faith, you know, refinement, you know, bringing him into this, bringing him into that. We have all these great words for it. But Job didn't see that. Your circumstances right now, you probably don't see the other side, just like Job didn't. But nonetheless, you must remain patient and steadfast and endure during this time. At the end, these people in chapter 11, they didn't, we're not celebrating that, oh, they withstood and then they received their gift. You know, like, oh, they really wanted a pony and then one day they got their pony. Yay! That's not the point. The point is, if Jesus was their pony, they died never, never seeing him. Not, not in this lifetime, not in this world. We're going to die without seeing Christ here. 
I mean, he could return and take us and all that, and I'm all for that. But what I'm saying is we could very well die today never having seen the, the physical return of Jesus a second time. We will go to be with him and all that, but but we are going to put all of our hope in him, and that's a very real possibility. These people died because they had hope, or or I should say they died in a righteous way because they died in a hope that was found in Christ alone. And so their life just looked different. Their life was lived differently. Look at James 5 and 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Question, anyone among you suffering? Raise your hand if you're suffering. Suffering, okay. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? I'm cheerful. All right, cheerful. Got a lot of good laughs at my jokes today. Didn't even plan that. I don't plan jokes, by the way. Just I The one time I tried to plan a joke, it bombed horribly. I'm like, never doing that again. So it's always the Holy Spirit just saying, hey, that's funny. Say it. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Or in the King James, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We love the part about being anointed and being healed of being sick and all that. And I love that too. If you're sick... Come on up. We'll anoint you. We'll pray for you. But if we stop there, we miss the rest of it. What's the rest of it say to do? You got your Bibles in front of you. Read it. Read it out loud. Confess your sins. Confess your sins. No, I'm not going to do that, Tony. Somebody might judge me. Somebody might look at me differently. Maybe we should if, if it's something that's dangerous and you've been sinning. The point of sin is that usually somebody is a victim of it. So if you're looking at pornography, your wife or your girlfriend or your – I'm just assuming it's a guy. It very well could be a gal. I mean you're hurting somebody. And, if, and even if you're off by yourself, you're single and nobody else is looking, you're objectifying some young girl somewhere who's probably being held against her will to do or act in the way that she is in a magazine or on a computer. You're hurting somebody. Confess your sins. What are your sins? What are they? Oh, not to Sam. Not to me. I'll confess them to the Lord. Really? Because that's not what this says. I mean, you should confess them to the Lord. You should also confess that Jesus is Lord. But the idea here is this community where we're all praying together, we're all anointing with oil, and we're confessing our sins. Are we going to be judged? Of course we are. We're human beings. That's what we do. But Matthew 7, yeah, but... We judge. That's our default. It's hard not to. And there's a lot of vulnerability here. But that doesn't change the command. It doesn't say confess your sins. Unless you're going to be judged, then just stay at home and play World of Warcraft. It doesn't say that. It just says confess your sins. Because maybe, just maybe, your sick, your sickness or your illness might involve the sin that you're involved in. Have you ever just become sick because you have sinned and you don't know what to do now? I've sinned and I've hurt people and I've got to confess and I've got to confront my wife or my husband. I've got to share with people what I've done and I don't want to because they're not going to love me or like me. Or, and I know Jesus forgives me, but what about these people? It just makes you sick. It can, the stress of that can literally just deteriorate your body. And so maybe confession is not necessarily about healing the, the illness that you're going through, but it's about healing the illness of sin. You want to be healed of something? Great. But don't just take one part of this passage and forget the rest of it. But listen to the last part here of verse 16. The power of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And then the writer, James, gives an example. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was just like you and me, human, following Christ, having faith. 
and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Now, normally what I would teach you is that it was the Lord's will that it should not rain, and so he commanded Elijah to go and then say these words, and then it wasn't going to rain. Contextually, though, that's not what happened. It may be what happened. We're not given those details. What we know is that because the king, King Ahab, was just basically running Israel into the ground, that the prophet Elijah, filled with the power of God, stood before the king who could take his life and said, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. It's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain. And it didn't rain. Church, I don't think we have the inherent ability to stop or start the weather. I don't. What I do believe is that God can and will use you to do something so amazing that it may involve stopping rain for three and a half years. Right after this, it's not like it's not like Elijah stood around, yeah, I'm the cock of the walk, I'm the I'm the guy around here, I'm the prophet. What's he do? He runs. He, he goes and he lives by a tiny brook and ravens bring him meat. And then that dries up so he goes and lives with a widow. And then he watches that widow's son die. And he's got to pray for that son and, re, and that he be resurrected. And then he takes the oil and the oil fills up the jars and the lady makes money. Crazy, right? By faith, Elijah did these things. And three and a half years later, what does he do? Comes back, rain, boom. Have you guys seen the stories or seen the pictures of California? I mean, they've had some rain recently, but you've seen just lakes and reservoirs that are just nothing because they've gone four years without water. A state with things in place, man-made lakes, reservoirs, aqueducts, all that stuff, to ensure that if a drought should happen, there'd be enough water after four short years saying we have about a year's worth of water left. Now take Israel before any type of that technology that we have now and three and a half years of no rain. Can you imagine the devastation? The lack of crops, the lack of food, the livestock that died, the people who, whose livelihoods just deteriorated because they couldn't grow those crops anymore. You couldn't just go buy water from some, you know, have a water tanker come in and bring you a big you know, semi full of water. No, you got no water? The land's dried up? Got to go somewhere else. But Elijah, this man with a nature just like you and I, was used by God in that way. I'm not telling you to go and start telling the rain to start or stop. I, I would just wager that if you did that, it probably wouldn't do anything. God had a purpose for this time. What I am telling you, though, is that you're just like Elijah. Why can't you just go and live for Jesus? Hey, you're sick? I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray that you're healed. Oh, you need money? Let's pray for you. And let's see if we can find you a job or get you some side work or if we can have somebody donate to you. Oh, your marriage is deteriorating? Let's talk about it. Let's, let's see if we can stop the inevitable. Let's see if God's power will do this or that in this relationship. You're just depressed, and I, and I don't say that lightly. You, you are, you are, everything else externally seems to be going well, but inside you're just, you're dying? Let's pray. Let's, let's be involved in each other's lives in that way. Let's sacrifice our time and our talents and our treasure to see that each one of us is taken care of in some way. Because we need each other. I don't know if you guys know this, but we need each other. God called us together as a church, not because he wanted a nice club on the earth. He called together a church, the, his body, because we need each other. And the cloud of witnesses continues to this day. Your witness tells something to somebody else. You're either a good witness or a bad witness. Lost my job. Just kept believing Jesus, he took care of us. Good witness. Lost my job, so I started selling drugs. Hey, man, I got to make money somehow. Bad witness. 
I just went ahead and divorced my wife because it just got too hard. Bad witness. I stuck through it, and she left me. But man, I did everything that I could to keep her. I followed Jesus. I, 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 I loved her like Christ loved the church, and it still wasn't enough, and she left or he left. Good witness. I did everything, and she stayed or he stayed. Now we love each other like we've never had. Good witness. But we need each other. There's a story in Exodus chapter 17, and this is where we'll end. Exodus 17, verse 11. When Moses held up his hand, well, let me give you some backstory here. Not a lot, but a little. There's a war. There's a fight between the Egyptians and the Israelites. The Israelites have fled. The Egyptians are like, hey, get back here. Why I ought to come back. We're going to take you back into slavery because you guys were doing a lot of free labor, and we want that back. Um, and so there's going to be this fight. And Moses was not the guy fighting on the ground. He was the one fighting spiritually. Joshua was out there actually fighting. But Moses was up on a hill. And it says this, that whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. I take that back. It wasn't the Egyptians. It was Amalek and the Amalekites. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. You guys ever worship on a Sunday morning? For the few of you that raise your hands, and it's not crazy to raise your hands, but you raise your hands, they get tired. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, I should have did some cardio this morning. This is too much. So you decide to do one of these, or maybe you do one of those, or maybe you bring them in, or maybe you should do the one. I mean, you find variations because your arms are hurting, basically. That's what's happening to Moses. He's up on a hill like this. It says that whenever his hands were up, the, the, the army prevailed, but... Whenever his arms dropped, got a soda or something, he's like, oh, they started losing. Oh, I got to put my arms back up. So some guys came and said, hey, you know, sit down. At least take the pressure off your legs and back. Put your arms up as you're sitting. Well, even that only did so much, so this is what they did. Just put a stone on her, and he sat on it while Aaron and her held up his hands. So two guys on either side, uh, one, on, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. It wasn't enough that he would sit. Moses couldn't hold his hands up anymore. So two guys came along on either side and held up his arms for him. Church, is going to come a time. See, what, what Moses is doing, he's just worshiping the Lord. He's raising his hands up. First, First Timothy chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy, I want men to hold up holy hands, not quarreling, not fighting. I want them putting up holy hands, worshiping the Lord. I love that he addresses the men because most often us men, we're like one of these guys. I'm going to worship like this. I'm not going to sing. Um, you know, I don't want to look like something. I just don't want to, I don't want to be seen as, as one of these guys that just worships the Lord and says things like, I love you, God, and things like that. He says, no, I want, I want men who will show up and raise their hands to the Lord. Not in fighting, not in quarreling, but in worship. But there came a time, there was only so much time that he could, he could worship physically, and so he needed people to come alongside him and help him. You're going to get to the end of your rope. You're not going to be able to worship anymore. But the church will come alongside you, hopefully. We, we'll fail at this too, but, but our goal is to come alongside you and to help you worship when you just can't. Pastor Tony, I, I just I don't have it in me. Here, let me help you somehow. You know, Pastor Ben, you know, Mike, different guys, I just need your help to get through this right now. I... I I've done all that I can, and we'll just come alongside you. Like like Simon of Cyrene coming along Jesus to help him carry the cross. Just come alongside you. We'll help you carry your cross too. And then there'll come a day where you're walking, and you've got your cross, and you're good, but you see somebody else who's hurting, and you're going to come alongside them and say, Hey, can I help you carry your cross too? Can I, can I just help you in this time where it hurts the most? And you'll see that happen over and over and over and over again. But at some point, we've got to make that decision, don't we? Will I carry my cross or not? Will I run and do whatever that entails or not? Church, you could say today, I'm going to run. Because you're Bill Clinton. I'm going to run. And then tomorrow fall. But if you get back up, you're still running, right? 
I'm talking to the people who just decide, eh, I don't want to run. Why? Jesus has done everything to reconcile you to God. If you're apart from God today, if sin is, is, is in the gap between you and God, everything has, been, everything has happened so that that no longer has to be. Jesus came, lived a life, died on the cross, was beaten and bloodied for your sins, beat death, was resurrected, went to be seated at the right hand of his Father, ruling and reigning, and will one day return to have you, and has called us to have faith in him. Done everything. Fulfilled died the death that we should have died but but instead offers us grace and mercy so what's holding you back today let's stand if someone if god were to stand before you today and to read the script of your life right now to the rest of us would you be cowering in shame or would he read off, but he lives for me. He's my good and faithful servant. Well done. The well done all, that's involved, all that's what Jesus has done, but are, is your faith there? And if you have faith there, then, then how is that being played out in your life? I have faith, but I don't love the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus loves his church very, very much. Yeah, but I see those guys on TV. Those probably aren't the church. What are you doing as a result of your faith? What is it? What happens because you're now a follower of Jesus? If you look like the rest of the world, we're probably doing something wrong. So I want to pray for you. Only you know the real answers to these questions. Only you and Jesus. And I would exhort you, fancy Christian word, to go home, start asking yourself these hard questions. Jesus, am I running? What would my testimony be? If my life was being played out, the life that, that nobody else sees, if it was being broadcast on a screen for everybody to watch, um, would it be a good testimony or a bad testimony? Would it show that I love you, that I follow you, or would it show that I just talk about those things? Let's pray. Jesus, I believe that your son came and died on this earth as a man, so that we could be reconciled to you, and, and more than that, be lifted up from the normal nature, or the, or the human nature we've been given, to have a supernatural nature, to follow you, no matter what you call us to. Whether you call us to, to public ministry, or, or just to follow the Great Commission of Matthew 28, to make disciples and, and preach the gospel and baptize folks, and, and just to believe until the end of age, Whatever that might be, Lord, we want to follow you and be filled with your spirit to do such a thing. You have, you have died to give us that privilege. Your word says that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That those three things are most manifested in you and in pursuit of you, Lord. And that's what we want today. And Jesus, I am praying a prayer of faith that people will begin to see you as you are to be known. Truthfully, Lord... Every question you answer brings 15 more questions. It reminds me of being a child and just everything being so, so, uh, there's so many questions about so many things. I read your word and there's so many more questions that arise. So Jesus, all I'm asking is for you to do everything that you said that you would do. Elijah was a man just like us, but he was able to call the rain to stop because of being filled by your Holy Spirit. And so today we call, not just for the rain to stop, Lord. We, we call blessings and refinement. We want to be stronger, Lord. We want to be people in the community that, that people look upon this church and see, wow, people get healed there. People meet Jesus there. They're not like superficial. They're people who are with, have scars and are hurt, but... But man, they live for Christ and they're healed and they're, and they're filled with joy and they're different. They're not like me. There must be something to this Jesus. There must be something that they have that I need. Jesus, help us to be that testimony. Help us to be the modern day cloud of witnesses that by faith go and preach the gospel to all the places we can.
We give you the praise and the glory today, Lord. If we need if we need more wisdom, your word says ask for wisdom, you'll give us wisdom. If we need this, we need that, I, I believe, Lord, you'll supply it. Help us, Lord. Refine us. Rebuke us. Correct us. Help us. Lead us. Guide us. Be behind us. Be beside us. Encompass us all around, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.